see what's going on. Brother Cisco pastors in Pasadena, which is a part of Houston. The name of his church is Church Triumphant. Isn't that awesome name for a church? Been pastor there, I believe, for 12 years. And he's evangelized all over the world for a number of years, but pastored in two places. And when I contacted him several months ago and asked him, after being in services with him in Alexandria, I asked him if he'd come to Section 3. And the good thing about the bishop being a part of Word of Flame Church is we got him here for our own service here on Sunday morning. Would you make Brother Cisco feel welcome? He's got a word from the Lord for us today. Let's clap for Jesus, everybody. Well, what a joy it is to be with you. What an amazing atmosphere that we are in today. And uh, I know that God has so many wonderful things for us. I'm really genuinely honored to be able to be a part of this Section 3 revival. I've been just amazed at the response and how much hunger uh, and for, for the things of God that I have seen. And uh, it's just a, a, a reflection of, of the quality of people and the quality of leadership. And so we, we love you, Bishop, and your precious wife, the Lumpkins, are absolutely amazing people. And then I just got to meet your pastor, Brother Jordan, and wow, just absolute class. I mean, wow, you are wonderful people of God, and you're so blessed as a church. You're so blessed. The future is secure. Amen. Um, I want to I uh, tell you what the Lord uh, gave me for you today. So I want to show you from the, uh, we're going to read two passages today. We're going to start in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5. And this might be a very familiar uh, chapter to you, but I still want to read it. I remember when I was in Ethiopia, and we would have conversations, and I would try to quote the Bible, and they would say, no, 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 no. I want you to read it out loud. He said, something happens when we read the Bible together. And they taught me that. And I was like, well, it's John 3.16. He said, no, I want you to read John 3.16. I'm like, well, okay. And something about just reading together does something to help our spirit. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everyone say all things. All things are become new. Now, I want you to see this. Now, we, we a lot of times just stop right there. But let's look at the next verse. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. By Jesus Christ. So it's still us and it's still me. But now we're going to turn and what are we going to do with that reconciliation? And hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us... The word of reconciliation. Word of flame, you have the word 
of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, and we have the word of reconciliation. Verse number 20 summarizes it. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everyone say, I'm an ambassador. All right, now let's look at the book of Genesis. Genesis. And we're going to look at chapter 42. Genesis chapter number 42. And verse number 36, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring not him to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he is left alone, and if mischief befall him by the way in the which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. And we go to the next chapter. Chapter 43, and the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass that when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, go again and buy us a little food. And a new character shows up. It's not Reuben. Judah. And Judah spake unto him, saying, the man did solemnly protest against us, saying, ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If you wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye yet another brother? And we told him, according to the tenor of these words, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Everyone say, live and not die. Both we and thou and also our little ones. Now notice his change, the change, the contrast between Reuben and Judah is here. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not to thee and set him, be, set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels. Carry down the man of present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh and nuts and almonds. Some kind of famine. Well, they look at all this stuff they got. And take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks and carried again in your hand. Pre-adventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy. What a shift. I want to talk to you today. When Judah takes the lead. Judah takes the lead. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice? And would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. We pray that the living word will preach the written word. And we ask you, Lord, today that we as a people will take on this new 
mentality and understanding of leadership. God, I pray that you would let there be an impartation from your word through your Holy Spirit today to all of us. We pray, God, that there would be anointing upon me and upon those who hear me. And we bind every resisting spirit, whether human or demonic, and we pray that your perfect will will be done. Let the heavens open. Let the angels be dispatched and confirm your word with signs following. Everyone say, in Jesus' name. Said one more time, in Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to two or three people and say, I bless you in the name of the Lord. And then you may be seated. I bless you. When you see this text, you wonder how we ever got here. How did we ever get to this place, in the first place, where we're depending upon Egypt? It would appear that Jacob, being the patriarch, the one that had an angelic visitation, God changed his name, touched his side. He had wrestled with God all night. You would think that if there's a famine that it would affect everybody else, but it wouldn't affect Jacob and his family. And if it did, it certainly shouldn't last long. I mean, after all, God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. If he would do it for anybody, he would do it for him. You would expect that when the famine started to come, and I think his boys probably thought, you know, he's on his staff, and he walks outside, and he goes, I command the heavens to open. Let the rain come again and let the ground bring forth. It shall be done. And walks back now. Pulling on his long beard. Dad is going to fix it for us. But if there was ever going to be a next generation, God would have to lift something off of that patriarch long enough for those sons to start feeling some responsibility. In every generation, there's going to be an issue. Abraham had his issues. Isaac had his issues. And Jacob had Jacob's trouble. But there was something that God was doing in the life of Jacob. He was changing the math in his generation. There was a promise given to Abraham of multiplication. But up to this point, there was only replacement reality. There was a promise of multiplication, but the actual practical reality was somebody was replacing Abraham. There was not multiplication. So there was only one that got the blessing. We know many sons had father Abraham, you know. But there was only one that God recognized. Keturah's sons did not, did not get into that equation. Ishmael was not a part of that equation. Only one son qualified. It was Isaac. And there was a lot of typology and symbolism in all of that. So we understand why. But now the burden rests upon Isaac to carry out this promise. And then there's two sons. There's Esau and Jacob. And Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. It's replacement theology. 
Who's going to replace the patriarch? Is it going to be Jacob or is it going to be Esau? And then we find through a little help with the wife, you know, that God's will was done. And it's passed on to Jacob, the supplanter, the manipulator, the deceiver. And he wrestles with God. And now in the wrestling with God, there is a change. He gets a new identity. The old Jacob has to be identified. He has to acknowledge who he is. And then in that moment, God says, okay, you are no longer Jacob. You are now Israel. And that would become a name that was bigger than himself because he was giving birth to a promise that was bigger than himself. If we are going to see the promises of God fulfilled, we have to be lost in the promise. My identity has to be, trans, has to be uh, completely transformed in order for God to do everything that he wants to do. And now we're going into multiplication reality where he's got 12 sons and God is ready to bless every single one of them. And if this is going to happen, then there's going to have to be a shift in the thinking. And so God gave them Joseph. Joseph was a dreamer. He was able to tap into something in the spirit. Those other boys were helping expand the ranch. They were, they were enlarging the territory that was close to them. They were, they were really good at, 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 at goats and sheep. And they were really good at, at business. But God said, it's going to be more than just this little bit that you're doing right now. And I know it seems like it's a pretty big jump that we've got 12 sons here. And I know it seems like it's a really big jump. But you have not even begun to multiply the way you're going to multiply. And so you're going to have to expand your thinking, you're going to have to enlarge your mentality, and so I need a dreamer. I need somebody here to tap in to something that is beyond what you are able to see with your natural eyes right now. I need a prophetic voice to show you the future. I need somebody in the family that, that, that sees things and hears things that goes against the, the practical and the pragmatic and, re, and reminds you that you are a part of a prophetic people. That you have a promise that is still hovering over you. That all the nations of the world, that all of the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham. And suddenly, Joseph and his brothers are fighting and they didn't really have room for a prophet. They didn't really have room for a dreamer. They didn't have room. And of course, you know, he was young. And he was a little bit naive and probably talked too much. Hey, guys, I had a dream. Like my new coat, by the way. So awesome. Dad gave it to me. I know, it's cool. It kind of shows that I'm going to be the future and I'm going to lead. Anyway, uh, but I had this dream. That's what the coat meant, folks. There were special sleeves on the coat, if you do the research, so that from a distance, neighboring Bedouin tribes would know who was the boss. Because when he would move his arms, there would be special sleeves. That's what the coat of many colors really was. It was to identify who the leader was. And so he was saying, it's not going to Reuben. It's not going to the firstborn of Leah. It's going to the firstborn of Rachel. So he's walking around. And Reuben's 40. And Joseph's 17. I mean, his beard's barely growing. I mean, you know. And he's going to take over the place. And now he's having dreams of everyone bowing down to him. They resented him. 
And all he was doing is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk into this identity. I'm trying to just share what I have. And his, even his parents are puzzled because the dream goes from the ground to the sky. This is how dreams go. It always starts earth and goes up to heaven. It's always enlarging. It's always getting bigger. Now it's sun, moon, and stars. And... But God knew what he was going to do. He wanted to bring the whole world into an understanding of who he was. And he knew that it was going to come through Abraham and his seed. He gave that promise generations earlier. He had gone so far ahead to even show Abraham about what was going to happen in Egypt that his people were going to sojourn in Egypt. He already seeded him with this. There was, a, there was an immense plan and strategy that God was laying out. But God has to send somebody ahead before the rest of the people can catch up. Oftentimes, uh, the organization, oftentimes the, the family, oftentimes the group, it takes a while to move them in a direction. It's like the old adage, you know, if you're going to make a change, you know, move the piano an inch at a time. You've know? got to take it slow. You know, people don't change until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. So God says, they're not getting it, Joseph. It's okay. I guess I'll just take you ahead. And so he takes one man, and that one man has to, watch this, endure everything that famine brings to the world. He has to endure this as an individual. So he's stripped of his, of his position. He's stripped of his of his robe of favor, and he's thrown into a pit, and he's rejected. From there, now he is sold. He becomes somebody else's property. This is what happens when you don't have money, indentured service. You're, you're stuck in some, working for somebody else, building somebody else's business, building somebody else's life, and you don't have a life. But Joseph needed to know that God was with him without his father. He needed to know that he had God's presence in his life whether his brothers loved him or didn't love him. And he had to learn how to operate and function outside of the realm of anger. He had to get outside of the, uh, of the arena of offense. And he had to just keep saying, God, you're with me and I can't be uh, upset. I have to just absorb whatever's going on because I have a dream. I'm either going to let my present rejection and my present circumstances cancel me out or I'm going to keep holding on to the dream that you've given me and I'm going to keep holding on to my covenant relationship. I'm going to keep holding on to the blessing of my forefathers and I'm just going to keep walking with you. And no matter where he went, he just rose to the top. Now he's at Potiphar's house and next thing you know, uh, you know, somebody loves him in Potiphar's house now. Uh, somebody wants him in Potiphar's house. He's, he can take care of everything in that house. He's running everything, and Potiphar's barely there. And, you know, he's, he's, he's handsome, and he's strong, and he's, and, he, and he's commanding in his presence, and he's got favor on him. And, and so the woman of the house says, I think I want some of that, and he has to say no, and he has to run away. And for all the young people here, we don't fight youthful lust, we flee youthful lust. You run, run away <laughs> as fast as you can. And he lost another coat. 
it's time for a transition. In every transition, you lose the identity of, the, of what you were in. You walk out of that because God is getting ready to give you another assignment. From here, it seems even worse. He goes to the prisons. But if you, if you study this, it literally means that he renovated the entire penal system. He walks in and starts making suggestions, and he starts saying, you know what, I think we need to do something about this, and the food is really bad, and you know what, we have this thing for waste management we need to work on, and the room seemed really low and dark, so can we do a little something? And by the things, well, that's a really good idea. There was somebody that died here who wasn't supposed to die of an infection. You know, I think, can we, and he's, next thing you know, he and the jailer are friends. And he's going in to, to other rooms with other jailers and he, with, with, uh, to other jails, and he is serving the prisoners in his prison. Wow. He's walking in, and here's the butler, and here's the baker. Oh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? You guys look pretty sad today. And he interprets somebody else's dream before his dream comes to pass. No guarantee of anything. Selflessness. What are we doing? He is prophetic. He's walking through all of these stages. He's seeing all of these different things about life. Because when famines come, there's all kinds of tragedy. There's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of issues that happen. And if he was ever going to lead, he was going to have to face every issue that a, that a nation or a people would have to go through. If God would have taken him from 17 years old and put him on the stage, he would not have been able to relate to the nations that are bedraggled by a famine that had stripped them of all their resources, made them angry and frustrated and, and disappointed and completely out of sorts. I mean, these were people that this was their last hope was to go to, was to, go to Egypt. That's what God was going to do with Joseph. But he said, look, I need you to go through some stuff ahead of time I need you to whip it before the rest of the world goes through it that you see everybody else is going to have this real time but you are in my time and so prophetically you're going to have to suffer ahead that's why the Bible says you take the example of the prophets for suffering So as a prophetic people, when you have destiny on you, get ready. There's trouble coming. I want to be used of God, and then all of a sudden things start happening. God, I don't understand. No, 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 no. It's because these are the people you are going to help is going through what you just went through. I'm going to let you feel that disappointment. I'm going to let you feel that frustration. I'm going to let you feel that pain. I'm going to let your family be touched, Bishop. Because there's a whole lot of other families out there that are suffering and they don't have any answers. But because of what you've been through and because of how you prayed and because of what you suffered, you got answers and it birthed an ability to lead. So in prosperity, we really don't like the prophets too much. But when we get in trouble, that's when we really need them. <laughs> but now Joseph's gone. So they go to dad. Dad, we're in famine now. 
Joseph's been gone for years. We know he was about 30 when he becomes the prime minister. And then there was a seven-year process of the famine. So this was 13 years between the pit and the famine. And now, all Jacob is doing is walking around carrying an old coat with goat's blood on it. And he's believing a lie that his own sons have, ta have told him. And because of that, he's embracing something that's not true. He lost his son, but he, but, but he thinks he's dead. He doesn't know that Joseph is really alive. And something about this grief, it doesn't feel right. Something about this situation, he can't let go of it because he, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. But something, that, that, was, that, was, that was my oldest from Rachel. That was my promise. That was when the barrenness ended. and All I got left is Benjamin. And Rachel is gone. And, it's grief. He's grieving. And as Sister Freeman said, you can't believe and grieve at the same time. So his faith is not active right now. And now his sons are trying to figure it out. They know what happened, but they can't tell it. So now there's a gap between the generations. And there's a growing mistrust. The sons are saying, Dad doesn't have it anymore. The sons are saying, he's, he's not leading anymore. The famine comes, and you know what his answer was? Oh. Genesis 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? Behold, I've heard there's corn in Egypt. This is your solution, Dad? I've heard there's corn in Egypt? There was no God said. It was a caravan came by with some corn, and I asked them, and they told me they got it from Egypt. So I guess, guys, time to go to Egypt. Okay. I guess we'll go to Egypt. And he says, Get you down thither and buy for us some corn from thence. And then this is where his faith kicks in. That we may live and not die. This was the last remnant of faith that was still operating in Jacob. You're supposed to go to Egypt. I don't understand all that. But I know this. We're going to live. We're not going to die. Most of the time, our solution is, bring it here, Lord, bring it here. We want God to do everything for us by bringing it to us. We don't want to go anywhere else to, so, to solve a problem. We don't want to make a major shift or make a major change. But God said, I'm working through Egypt right now. Doesn't make sense to you, but I'm trying to expand you. I'm trying to get you out of a Bedouin community that's a pretty small-minded little, 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 little uh, community of people that kind of migrate around with their sheep. And I want you to go to Egypt because in Egypt you can influence the world. This is the greatest civilization in the world. It was Egypt at that time was, was the most pronounced and the most dominant superpower in the world. And God had already sent a prophet ahead. He had already sent Joseph ahead. He already had somebody on that stage. They just didn't know it. 
God is trying to prepare the church for a brand new stage. God is trying to get us out onto a stage to impact the world. And sometimes we're so living in the moment, we're trying to say, God, why are you making my world so uncomfortable? How come all of this is going on? I don't understand. Why did you let COVID happen? Why did you let the lockdowns happen? Why did you let all of these bad things happen in the world? God said, I'm trying to get you out of your Bedouin community now, and I'm ready to make you an ambassador to the world you have received reconciliation now you need to represent reconciliation you need to go as an ambassador you need to understand it's not just about you it's about what God did with you and now he's going to do through you So he sends them down there, and the brothers, the brothers now are dealing with issues. They're, they're talking amongst themselves and trying to get there, and they're trying to figure out. And so Reuben's the natural firstborn. He's the one that's trying to lead everybody, and, but he's got some serious, serious problems. But they get to, they get to Egypt, and Joseph recognizes them. And you know what he is saying? I want to know if they're mature enough for this stage. I want to know if they're still petty or not. Because if I introduce them as my brothers and they come up here with all that petty stuff, it's going to sabotage everything that God has done to put me in this role as the prime minister of Egypt. It has to look the same. God refined Joseph in that pit. He refined him in Potiphar's house. He refined him in the prison. And even for two years he was waiting and nothing happened until finally the, the, the Pharaoh has a dream. And he realizes that the dream of Pharaoh connects with his dream. And those two dreams are actually one dream. And now finally he has come to a place of such maturity and selflessness that he doesn't say anything about himself. He just says, find you a man. That's the level of selflessness. That's the level of pure motive that made Pharaoh go, well, who's wiser than you? And in 15 minutes, he went from being a co-jailer to being the prime minister of the greatest country in the world. God can do that in a second. God can turn it around and give you a stage in a second. God can set us up in a second. He can change it in a second. How close, how close has this movement been to power? How fast did God take a relationship at a camp meeting with a governor who became a president? How fast could we step right into a White House? How did that happen? And the people that God chose is because they've been refined. They were people that understood, that knew how to walk through those doors, knew how to navigate that and represent as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Okay, so God sends people ahead because he wants the whole movement to get there. So the brothers are trying to catch up. God is trying to get them up to speed. If Jacob did everything for them, they, they would never learn how to hear from God. 
And the reason why some of the elders have been moved off the scene is because we've gotten so spoiled of just being able to call Brother Barnes or, or call Brother Tenney or call somebody and they would immediately know what to do. And sometimes they're just saying, boy, it's time to go to Egypt. That's all you got for me? Yep, you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to pray your way through. You're going to have to go. I'm going to tell you this. We're going to live and not die. The rest is on your faith. We need a generation of young people that know how to believe God like our elders believed God. That's how they got here. They figured it out. They got on location, didn't have any money, didn't have NAM. I mean, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have church in a day. They had prayer. They came in and prayed, and God opened up doors. And in this generation, we're going to have to learn how to pray for ourselves. So God lets us have our own situations that we go through so we can learn to trust Him. So Joseph has a test. Joseph has a test, and it was a maturity test. He said, I'm ministering to the world. I've got nations that are coming to me. And if I'm going to have you on the stage with me ministering to the world, people that are strangers to you, I better, I better see that you at least know how to love the one that you know. The litmus test of God giving you a great harvest is how you treat one another. If you can't love the brother that you know, then how can you love the stranger that you've never met? Oh, I love souls, but oh, she bothers me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm wrong here. I think one of the things that shocked me the most about being a pastor is how grown-up people were so petty. I, I, just, I just like, she sang my song. I'm like, you wrote it? I thought if you wrote it, you'd want her to, you know, more people to sing your song. If you wrote it, I mean, I didn't know you wrote that song. No, 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 I didn't wrote it. I mean, like I sang it before. So you're the only one that can sing that song? Oh, they sat in my seat. You own that seat? Oh, yeah, my, my family, we, we bought that chair. That's wonderful. But you know what? You bought it so a guest could come and sit there and get the Holy Ghost. And they didn't know that that's where you sit. So you know what? Maybe you might actually feel God in another part of the building. I mean, like, God is three chairs over. He, he is. He really is three chairs over. Gonna leave the church over stupid stuff. Gonna go to hell over she used my recipe for that. You know like, well, that was a that was a recipe from my grandmother, and she. I'm like, aren't you honored that she loved that recipe that much that she wanted to cook with that? I mean, like, she didn't use her grandma's. She used your grandma's. I mean, like, get over it. I mean, come on. You know, like. Just smile and wave and say, thank you, Jesus, you know. And so this is what Joseph wanted to know. This is what Joseph wanted to know. Are you still petty and immature and fighting among yourselves? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one of them and stick him in prison. I'll stick Simeon in prison. And I'm going to see how you act when I do that. 
I'm going to tell you, bring back my little brother. I know how you treat your, your, these are all whole brothers. They're all from the same mom and the same dad. But this is their half-brother, Benjamin. We'll see how you treat him. I'm not doing anything. I'm not, not telling you anything until I see what you do. So he sends them back home with a word. But he gives them all their money back. You're not paying for anything. I got you. But he also knew that this could create some, a certain amount of suspicion when he puts the money in the bag. How are you going to sort that out? It's a test. It was all just a test. So they empty their bags out. And dad, I mean, now he is, the gap between the generations is getting larger. Now, this is the first time he didn't go. He wasn't in charge. He wasn't in control. He couldn't dictate the terms. He, didn't, he wasn't able to represent. If I would have been there, I would have never allowed that to happen. I would have come in there with my staff, and I would have told them who my father was and my grandfather was, and I would have established my credibility. And then I would have asked for, an, for not just an audience with the prime minister. I would have wanted to talk to Pharaoh myself. We would have negotiated a partnership. I would have, I mean, and yet instead, you come home without your brother. Me, have you bereaved of my children? You, you took my kids away. You hear the accusation in his voice? Hear the lack of trust. I gave you a job. I sent you on a journey. I, I trusted you, and you came back, and this is what you tell me. Joseph is not. Now he's back to grieving again, and Simeon is not. And now you're telling me you're going to take away the last remnant that I have of my beloved Rachel? You're going to take my Benjamin away? And so what do you do? You, you have more control. More control. Come here, Benjamin. You can't have him. He's mine. Hold on. We hold tighter when we, when we uh, lack trust. Control gets stronger. Control gets stronger. I'll, I'll get you again in a minute. So th thank you, Benjamin. Appreciate it. I had to get up on the step to grab him. Benjamin was tall anyway. And Reuben says, watch his language. Dad, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. Now think about how this sounds to a grandfather. So you're telling me, son, that if you fail again, you already failed once, you were in charge of the last mission, then you're going to kill my grandsons? He said, Benjamin is not going with you. <laughs> this discussion is over. You know what he was trying to show him? Notice what he's trying to say. He was trying to say, Dad, I'm willing to kill for you. Got me. When Judah comes on the scene, Judah did not say, I'll kill for you. He said, I'm willing to die for my brother. There's a big difference from saying, I'll kill for my brother or I'll die for my brother. See, because there, there's just going to be more funerals. There's just going to be more dying. There's just going to be more, more residual problems. 
There's just going to be another generation messed up by your reactionary thinking. And that's why Jacob said, there's a lot of things maybe I'm not getting right now. I'm pretty upset, and I'm, and I'm groaning and I'm, and, 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 and myself, and I'm still grieving. But I can tell you this, you are not fit to lead. And so time goes on, and they eat the corn that's left in their, in their package, in their baskets, in their, all of their bags that they brought back from Egypt. And so dad says, hey, come on, boys. He's softened now. You know, the famine brings about the urgency again. It lifts the, the, the scope above the emotions and into the urgency of, of hunger. And they're thinking about how long the trip takes to go and how long it takes to get back and start measuring out how much corn we actually have. And, and we've got children and grandchildren and moms. And, I mean, there was, there was about 70 souls, the Bible says now. So I'm thinking about the whole group, and, and I, I remember how, what we all felt and how I had all these conversations to manage when you were gone. And Go get us a little more corn. we got to do this now. And Judah steps up, and there was an anointing that was coming on him right there. There was a connector point. God needed someone to connect Jacob with Joseph. God needed someone that could, that could undo the past heal the wounds, and give peace to a man who was grieving so that they could be released into their destiny and start walking with a forward mindset and not a backward mentality. God needed someone to be able to discern exactly what the generations needed and how to lead them from step A to step B to step C. He needed somebody. He had already been on the trip, but he wasn't in charge. Now he's stepping up and saying, uh, say, Reuben feels rejected. He does not feel like he can lead. He's not in a place to lead. Somebody has got to step up into this leadership gap and help move this whole family forward. And so Judah stepped up. And this is why we read that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. That promise was released after this prophetic action, after this leadership initiative that was shown. And he steps up and says, Father, this is the details. Here's what's going on. We can't go without Benjamin. We have to have Benjamin. Benjamin has to go with us. I know you love Benjamin, but he's 30. He's been sleeping in the same tent with you. You won't even give him his own tent. But you have to let go. We cannot go forward until you let go. I know you're still carrying around an old tattered rag from what happened to Joseph, but that's yesterday and this is now and you got to let go. Something has to shift. Something's got to change. And I'm telling the body of Christ, we cannot keep dragging up yesterday and bringing it into our, into our present. We cannot keep talking about stuff that happened. Oh, this, that, this one happened to that one. You can carry it around. But you heard the man of God today. We got to let go of some grave clothes. We got to come walking out and say, that's not a part of my future. when I was praying about this Sunday morning I said God what am I supposed to speak on that Sunday morning what am I supposed to talk about he said he said that church is supposed to take on a new identity as a leader 
in reconciliation and restoration. I'm here to tell you what your name is. I know you have word of flame on the sign, but you are Judah. That's who you are. You are the leader of this transition. You are the leader of this shift. You are the ones that have the gravitas, the discernment, and the clarity to say this is this, and this is this, and this is what we have to do. God needs churches, and he needs ministries, and he needs leadership. See, God showed me this a long time ago. Churches don't have destinies. The ministries that lead those churches have destinies, and the church picks up the destiny of the leader. If you had a different pastor, you would have a different vision, you would have a different direction. But because of your bishop and your pastor, what God is saying is this is your destiny. This is who you are, like priest, like people. I want you to get into this. You're the tribe of Judah. That's who you are. You are destined to lead. Turn to somebody and say, you're a leader. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. I'm sorry. I didn't even look at the clock. I'm so sorry. My goodness. Stop and lift your hands to the Lord for a minute right now. Let this soak into your spirit right now. We're going to get there in just a second. It was Judah's, it was Judah's intercession that changes this story. He first intercedes to his father. When he gets to Egypt, it was Judah that interceded to Joseph. He was the mediator. Another word for intercession is to be a mediator. He was a mediator between generations. And, and he, he was willing to die. And this is what John said, that, that if you love your brother, you have to be willing to die for your brother. When I went to Ethiopia... I was there with Billy Cole. I went twice. I've never seen people that were so united. I've never seen people that were so loving. And I never saw uh, the kind of demonstration of the spirit and the magnitude of the crowds as I saw in Ethiopia. I mean, it was like a, it was like a moment by moment, like, I mean, like explosions going off in my brain. Small explosions, but I mean, they're going off in my brain. Everywhere. We were met by a 300-voice choir when we came off the bus, all dancing. I could barely even... I could barely even walk. I was just so overwhelmed. I started to weep in the presence of God. I fell down on my knees, and here's a man standing there right by the bus, and he picks me up like this, and he goes like this. I can't speak his language. He knows I can't speak. I don't, don't speak Amharic. But I look at him, I'm like, I just met a brother. Like, I just came on the other side of the world. This man's been baptized in Jesus' name. He's got the Holy Ghost. He's a part of the family of God. He's my brother, and he loves me. He's immediately expressing love to me. Tears started coming in my face. I, I went like this, and I touched him. And then I was like, I just want to hug this guy. I just want to grab him. I just, it was like the love was so strong. 
they would fight. You know, I was there as a, as, as a help. I mean, I'm not there to preach. I was 24, you know. They were like, you know, carry the bags. That's my job, was to support all the other ministers. I was assigned to Merle Ewing. That was who I was assigned to. I even sat with them on the plane. That was fun. So. And, and I was supposed to carry the luggage, so I'm trying to carry the luggage. And, and, the, and the people in the, in, in the ministry compound saw us picking up bags, and they were fighting us over carrying the bag. No, no, no. We, I'm like, no, no, it's my job. Somebody, he said, no, it's my job. It's my, I'm like, no, it's my job. It's my, and they're put, I'm like, no, no, please. Finally, I was like, okay, you can just take the bag, you know. Never seen before. When Billy Cole prayed for us, all the, all the young men at one point in the service, the power of God was so strong, and there was all these young men, and he started calling us up on the, there was a small little other uh, place that kind of stepped up a few more steps so you could see the crowd better. It was right in the front of the, of the platform, and he was laying hands on them, and boom, Nathaniel Haney, he falls over, and it's going down. Everyone's getting knocked out in the spirit, and Billy Cole's laying hands on them, and I'm the last one. I'm just watching everyone like this, and they're all falling out, and I was not up there, and he calls me, Jason, get up here. I'm like, oh, yes, sir. So I walk up the three steps. He lays hands on me. I go straight down, like just right down the steps. Like, I fell out, and my shoes popped off. And I thought it was so funny. I started laughing. I thought it was so funny. The power of God was so strong, it knocked my shoes off. Here comes these Ethiopian brethren. Everybody on that platform has started at least five churches. They were all presbyters. You cannot be a presbyter unless you start at least five churches in Ethiopia. There were a thousand ministers on that stage. Never seen anything like it in my life. They're running over to me. This is the heart that they have. Running over to me. And they immediately, you know, they help me get up. They start putting my shoes back on my feet like this for me. And then they take my hand. Like, whatever you just got from Billy Cole, we wanted. And they started putting it on, they started taking my hand and putting it on their head. And then the other one would fight for my hand and stick it on his head. And so my arm was like twister, you know, it was just going around. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? I mean, I just got prayed for. You're just moving my hand around like this. I'm like, but Billy Cole's right there. You know, like, he was, Billy Cole turned around. He was already, you know, speaking to the audience. And they were just, they were so hungry for God. So I, we asked the question. We finally got in the group. We asked the question, how how did they get to this? And Brother Ticklemarium, he, he, I stayed after a couple of days after everyone went home because I wanted to be with the Ethiopians when they were not in a crusade. I just wanted to stay with them. I slept in a cot, and I stayed in the house with them. I didn't stay in a hotel. I ate what they ate, and I, I just wanted to watch them and observe them. I wanted to learn about this. And there were two things that I learned. Billy Cole said, the difference between the American church and the Ethiopian church is that the American church will die for the gospel. But the Ethiopians would die for their brother. He said everyone in this room would die for the truth. If they said, renounce the faith, you wouldn't renounce it. He said, but in Ethiopia, he said, they're willing to die for their brother. And then I sat with Brother Tekli and I said, I said, Brother Tekli, Tell me how you got to this, because I know it wasn't always united. There was a period of time where they were not united at all. There was a lot of division. How did you get there? And he said, he told me a couple of things. He said, you are an American, and you expect people to treat you a certain way. And if they don't treat you a certain way, you're immediately offended. And he said, but in Ethiopia, we have done study on the love of God. If you want to be loved... You go to God to be loved. He's the one that promised to love you. He said, but the Bible never said that your brother would love you. It just says, love your brother. 
So nobody has an expectation of how their brother should take care of them. Everybody in Ethiopia is just trying to see how well they can love their brother. He said, it's a competition of who can love their brother the best. And he said, so there is no expectation, so there is no offense. And I realized it. I thought about that. How many times have I walked in? Well, they didn't even acknowledge me. They didn't even say. How many times arrogance of, of, of Americans? And I realized how much it gets in our way. And this is what Joseph was trying to see. Are you willing? Are, do you love your brother? Do you really love your brother? This is the litmus test of end time revival. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one to another. If we are going to have reconciliation in our neighborhoods, we're going to have to love people that are different from us. We're going to have to love people that stink. We're going to love people with tattoos. We're going to love people that speak different languages. We're going to love people that have histories. But folks, if I can't, if I can't first put my arm around you, if I can't first love you if I can't first overlook whatever differences that we have and how am I ever going to be able to represent the world represent to the world the love of Jesus I promise God I said God I will never have any expectations God, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to all my expectations. I'm giving up every expectation. I don't have any going forward. God, just help me to see how well I can love the people that are around me. And I'm going to tell you, this is where the breakthrough happened in Ethiopia. They went from 30,000 people in their total constituents to now they have over 6 million in Ethiopia that are apostolics right now because they've learned how to love one another. And I believe this church is about to go into a, a quantum leap forward in the spirit because there is something that is changing in our thinking. There's something that's changing in our mentality. God is saying, I'm ready to move everybody. I'm about to shift everybody. But I need somebody with a leadership gift that can walk in and say, yes, we are holy. Yes, we have covenant relationship. But we are not afraid to go to Egypt. We're not afraid. We can represent in Egypt. It's going to look different. It's going to sound different. It's going to smell different. We're going to live in different kind of houses. But you know what? If this is where God wants us to be able to reach the nations of the world, every family of the world was touched through Joseph. It was because of Joseph that every nation was fed. And folks, if we're going to get there, if we're going to get there, we have to make the jump. Let me finish. Let me try to let me try to wrap this. So watch the effect of Judah. Watch the effect. Notice what he does. He says, I need you to let, let Benjamin go so we'll live and not die. And when he says, we'll live and not die, he is reflecting the same words that started the process. It was Jacob that said, live and not die. It was the last time he spoke faith. 
And so instead of talking about me, have you bereaved of my children? Instead of talking about all the accusations, instead of speaking to the, all the grief that he had, he just said that we may live and not die. And something came alive in that old patriarch. There was a fire that started to burn. And all of a sudden he said, all right, all right. If, if we got to do it this way, then this is what we're going to do. He said, I want you to go get me some, some almonds and some honey and, and we're going to get double the money. And, and all of a sudden he starts coming alive and he starts finding out all this stuff. He's got spices. He's got, this is a famine. You got spices in the tent. What else you got in there? He's got honey in there and almonds. He's got his little secret little stash of all this stuff that all of a sudden starts getting unlocked. And I'm going to tell you, there are more resources than what we know that are already here that are going to start getting unlocked when we start letting go and start embracing our future and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I know it looks a little different, but God, whatever it takes to make the step into our destiny, we cannot afford to stay where we are. We have to go forward. And it's going to happen by speaking faith. Turn to somebody and say, just speak faith. Just speak faith. Folks, we can speak grief. There's a lot of grief. We can speak accusation. It's everywhere. We can talk about the gaps. But somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to step up and teach us how to speak faith in the middle of fear. We have to speak faith in the middle of a famine. We have to speak faith in spite of what we have already endured and all of the failures that have already happened. Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? I love what Pastor Jordan said. He started talking of faith. He was just releasing faith all through this service today. And I want you to know if we can get in that dimension of faith, anything is possible. If you can operate in that dimension of faith, it can turn around the worst of situations. I'm almost done. The Bible says it was Judah. Judah means praise. So praise is what unlocks the prophetic. You start speaking faith because praise is coming out of your mouth. You know how I'm going to get out of this circumstance? I'm going to praise my way out of it. I'm going to sing my way out of it. I'm going to dance my way out of it. How you getting out of the famine? Ah, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The old patriarch said, may the Lord bless you. The, the old patriarch started speaking it with him. And folks, when the generation starts speaking faith together, nothing, nothing is going to stop us. When we start praising God together, something unlocks in the spirit. There is a foundation that has already been laid. There is a history that we've already been given. But this is the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. And you are the church. You are the people that God has ordained to lead in section 3. Judah bridged the gap. Judah 
Judah bridged it. And you're going to be the ones that are going to be the bridge. They're going to say, I trust you. And because I trust you and I see what God has done with you, I'm okay. So he's going to say, all right, Benji, you get to go. And Benjamin says, I get to do a trip. The reality of this next wave of grace that's coming to the body of Christ. The reality is, we're going to have to trust. Musicians can get ready right now. God's got to restore our trust. He's got to repair the damage to our trust. He's got to heal us of our skepticism. And we have to stop reading our history into our present. And we have to go back to the dreams that guide all of us. And the prophetic words that are hovering over all of us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When they got to Egypt, there was another test. Benjamin got five portions. They all got one portion. And when Benjamin got five, they all celebrated. It was awesome. And it's so great. Everything's going good with Benjamin. As long as everything goes good with Benjamin, we're good. Dad will be happy. It was no longer a competition about who got the most. It was all about what's best for Dad, what's best for us, and what's best for the family. And when Joseph tested him one last time by putting the cup in Benjamin's bag. You know what he was saying? If you don't treat him right, I'll keep Benjamin with me. He said, I'm going to put him in prison, and if you don't want him and if you don't love him, I'll tell him the rest when you leave. I'm going to have Benjamin either way. But when Judah gets down and makes his, his appeal, Joseph starts crying, sends everybody out, and they find out it's not worse than what they thought. It's better than what they thought. And finally, 20-year-old wounds that they had been carrying around were forgiven in a moment. I am Joseph. I am your brother. And they looked at him and they said, he's going to kill us. And he said, no, come near to me because I want to hug you. Embrace the revelation. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God's purpose was greater than any of our weakness and our immaturity. God's doing it in spite of us, Bishop. That's how powerful grace is. But we've come to a place right now where God is ready to trust us with the revelation of who He is. Would you stand with me across this room right now? Probably my favorite part of the story is when Jacob sees the wagons. And he says, whose are these? These are Joseph's. 
these are pharaohs. He said, Joseph lives, Dad. Joseph's alive. He's alive. And he faints. <laughs> they pick him back up. No, no, no. He's really alive. And now the prophetic starts coming out of Jacob. I will see my son. I will go to Egypt. And I will see my son. He lost him for 17 years. You know how long he lived in Egypt? 17 years. God restored the years that he lost. And I'm going to tell you, that was all because there was somebody named Judah that took the lead. And I'm telling you, God is about to use this church. God wants to use your leadership. And he's going to restore the years that have been lost. If you're ready to be an ambassador, I want you to step out of your seat right now. Come and stand all across this building. You're ready to be an ambassador. You want to have that ministry of reconciliation. You want that word of reconciliation. You accept your position. You accept your identity as a church that will embrace grace. That will embrace the love of God. Step out of your seat right now. God wants to heal some people today. God wants to release some people today. Right now, we're going to pray it together. Would you agree with somebody? You're probably standing by somebody you know. Would you agree with that person that you know right now? That today God is changing the way we think and changing the way we feel and changing the way that we act and that we are embracing our prophetic role in the body of Christ as praisers, as healers, as leaders, as restorers, as intercessors. Father, today, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be a release in the Spirit. I pray, oh God, that everything Lord Jesus, that has been held up, everything that has been restrained, everything that has been stopped, there is a shift in the spirit. God, I thank you for this pastor. I thank you, God, for his wife. I thank you that you have given them the anointing of Judah. You have given them, oh God, the leadership of Judah. Oh God, you put a scepter in his hands. There's a lion's roar that is in him. I thank you, Lord, for this church. That this church is the tribe of Judah. I thank you, Father, that there is a prophetic anointing. There is a spirit of intercession. God, I thank you for this bishop. God, you're sending him on a national level. You're sending him even on an international level to be a restorer. He and his wife are restorers. They are, they are intercessors. They are mediators. They are leaders. They are stepping into gaps. They are healing. God, I thank you that this church is going to be a safe place where people can come from every background. They can come from every from every addiction. They can come with every problem. And they will be loved. They will be embraced. I thank you, God, right now. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to praise my way out.
Now, when you have accepted that role as a leader, now I want you to praise. And I want you to start speaking faith. I want you to let praise come out of your mouth. Praise God in advance. Praise God in advance. I thank you, God. This church is about to grow. I thank you, God. Backsliders are coming home. I thank you, God. We're about to have financial blessings. I thank you, God. This famine is not going to affect us anymore. My favor is greater than my famine. Let some faith confessions come out of your mouth. Do it as a praise. 